This is Mormon Awakenings. You can email me at mormonawakenings at gmail.com or you can find me at Facebook at Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanik. Welcome back. I received an excellent comment last week in response to episode 45 entitled Your Zombie Identity. It was left by a guy or a girl, I'm not sure if it was a man or a woman, named Longtime Listener. Listener spelled L-I-S-T-N-E-R. List-ner. Longtime Listener writes this in response to episode 45. Never know WTF this man is talking about. Always delete before listening to the end. I'm quoting verbatim, by the way including the WTF. WTF, I believe, means what the freak. I think that's what it's supposed to mean. Maybe there's a harsher word for the F. I'm not sure. I think there is. Never know WTF this guy is talking about. Always delete before the end. So he's basically saying, I never know what the freak this guy Jack is talking about in his episodes of Mormon Awakenings. And whenever whenever they end up in my podcast feed, I delete them. Longtime listener continues. It's verbal solo masturbation each episode. That's how longtime listener chose to describe my monologues as verbal solo, you know, the M word. I'm not going to use that word. It's not a great word, at least not in polite company. So we have a WTF. Then we have the M bomb. He continues. Or she continues, cut these out, in my opinion, and the mythical Jesus stuff and the 2019 may see better downloads. F-W-I-W, which means for what it's worth. So that's interesting. Longtime listener feels that this podcast, along with the mythical Jesus podcast, is so bad, it's actually driving listeners away from the broader Mormon Discussions podcast platform. People are so offended by this podcast. That downloads are suffering. Downloads of other podcasts associated with Mormon Discussion podcasts. Because people are so offended by the content of this podcast. FWIW, for what it's worth. Which I think was meant to lessen the gravity of the critique offered by longtime listener. Which, you know, just a little bit of advice to longtime listener. After you give a really harsh critique, a really harsh comment, and I think it's fair to say it was a pretty harsh comment, where you use such colorful language as what the freak and, you know, the M word, tacking on F-W-I-W at the end doesn't really, well, it doesn't really make anyone feel better. I'm just saying F-W-I-W. Now, to be fair, I know that Mormon Awakenings is not for everyone. I mean, I mean, it is a solo rant week after week by me, just some guy alone in his office. You know, and maybe that's a bit self-indulgent. I think that's what longtime listeners trying to say when he or she describes this podcast as mere verbal, you know, M word. I think what he or she is trying to say is that, you know, if this podcast is a little self-indulgent, it's just some guy jabbering in his office. Okay, that's fair. Mormon Awakenings is not for everybody. And I'm sure there are other people who, when they see the Mormon Awakenings episode in their most recently updated podcast feed, they just roll their eyes and delete it. I mean, I'm sure that happens. But what I don't get is, why is longtime listeners so mean about it? Where does the vitriol come from? You know, I think that's fair. I think it was a fairly mean comment, full of vinegar. Where does that come from? You know, because listening to Mormon Awakenings is not compulsory. 
And it's not like I'm trying to trick anybody into buying my books or pamphlets or, you know, to give your life savings to my ashram or something. So where does the vitriol come from? Where does the vinegar come from? Why so mean? Well, of course, I know the answer. Because I've left comments like longtime listener. As we all, we've all done something similar to this. And so in a sense, we all know where the vitriol and the vinegar comes from. We all know because deep inside all of us, there's something that Shirzad Shamanin calls the judge. Shirzad Shamanin, if you remember, wrote the most excellent book entitled Positive Intelligence. It's a terrific book. I've spoken about it before. I suggest you read it if you haven't. It's awesome. And the first concept Shirzad discusses in that book is the concept of the judge. It's analogous to what Eckhart Tolle would call the mind. It's analogous to what other writers and philosophers call the ego. But however you think about it, the mind, the judge, the ego, this thing inside you is like a separate being, like a separate entity. And so where does the vitriol and the vinegar come from? Well, for all of us, it comes from the judge. And according to Shirzad Shamanin, each of our judges is a little bit different. For each of us, our particular judge has its own peculiar personality, manifests in its own unique way, has its own pattern of expression. And what's interesting is one of the first things Shirzad Shamanin teaches you about the judge, about your judge, is that it will try to trick you into thinking it doesn't exist. Well, that's interesting. The second thing that Shirzad Shamanin teaches in his book is that the people who are most under the influence of their judge, who are most dominated by their judge, are those who are in the deepest denial about its existence. You know, so translating into Eckhart Tolle's terms, the people who are most unconscious, most unaware, are the people who are, who are in complete denial about the existence of their ego. Well, that's weird, but boy, is it helpful. Not just in understanding your own behavior, but in helping you cope with the behavior of others. Because while each person's judge might be unique to them, there's a universal attribute of all judges. And that's that the judge is constantly judging, which is why Shirzad Shamanin calls it the judge. The judge, my judge, your judge, everyone's judge, inside their head is constantly judging. Not just judging, but constantly finding everything and everyone wanting. Deficient, inadequate, stupid. That's the commonality, the universal commonality of all judges, at least according to Shirzad Shamani. And I think he's right. The other universal commonality amongst all judges is that they're all relentless and they're all sneaky. And what's odd about the judges, even though it's a production of your mind, it's separate from you and it will actually limit your intellectual abilities. It will limit your ability to solve problems, it will limit your capacity for compassion. And when you're asleep to its influence, when you're unconscious or unaware of it, it's, it like blinds you. You just can't see the world. All you can see is your crappy car and your bad ch- paycheck and your stupid spouse and your unruly children and your rundown house and your stupid religion and the unthoughtful leaders and their bad general conference talks. All you can do is excoriate yourself for paying tithing and obeying the word of wisdom. And all you can do is judge the people that need help as wanting, as deficient, as lazy, as stupid. But it's worse than that. You become blinded to the beauty of things like trees and the sky. And looking into the eyes of others and feeling their spirit. That's how insidious the judge is. 
And, you know, every single one of us has one of these horrible things inside us, which is, which is scary at first to realize. But then, oh, it's a relief. Because, as they say at Alcoholics Anonymous, recognition is the first step of recovery. And so it is with the judge. And not just that. Because the first thing you understand when you recognize in yourself your own judge and you start to hear the judge's voice and can separate the judge's voice from your deeper voice, your deeper soul, the first thing you realize is that the person that the judge is hardest on, is most critical of, finds most wanting, is you yourself. The person your judge finds most lacking, most deserving of criticism and reprimand is you yourself. And so it's a great relief when you realize there's this judge inside you because it's the beginning of you starting to give yourself a break. And if there's one thing that people inside our community really need, it's, it's to be given a break by themselves. Because I'm sad to say, but most people inside our community who are unaware of their own judge have mastered, or rather their judge has mastered, the art of incessant, endless, Guilt, guilt, self-punishment, self-judging, finding oneself inadequate, finding oneself disobedient. All of this fueled by our own peculiar Mormony judge, which is relentless, unceasing, and is constantly trying to trick you into thinking it's not even there. Well, that's scary. And if you don't think any of this is true, just spend the next five minutes sitting as quietly as you can. And just try to listen to all the thoughts your mind is telling you about yourself, about the room you're sitting in, about what you're doing. And if you can hear yourself criticizing yourself, if you can hear yourself telling yourself this is a waste of time, or if you feel yourself saying you got better things to do than this dumb, introverted, meditation dumb thing. If you hear any of that stuff, well, you just found your judge. You just discovered him or her inside you. And so next time you wake up in the middle of the night, terrorized by some worry about something that's not happening right now, or fretting about some great slight you received 10 years ago, or the next time you're walking down the sidewalk and you say, boy, am I an idiot? Just remember, that's not you talking. That's the judge. That's your judge. And you can always stand back and watch your judge. You can hear your judge, recognize your judge. But you don't have to do what your judge tells you to do or think what it tells you to think. In fact, once you notice your judge, you're about 60 or 70 or 80% along the path to getting out from under its grip. Because once you notice it, it can no longer convince you it's not there. It can no longer hide as easily. It can backdoor you. You can lapse back into judgmental patterns. But you'll start to notice it more and more and more. Then you'll start to notice it more and more in others. You'll start to notice their judge. In fact, sometimes it's easier to notice the judge of others than it is to notice your own judge. But you'll start to notice other people are completely hijacked by their judge, completely driven by fear of it, or constantly excoriating themselves, though it may manifest itself in all sorts of different ways. Bravado, superconfidence, ambition, religiosity. But all these states of unawareness are fundamentally the product of their judges fundamentally the product of some voice inside their head telling them how stupid, inadequate, wanting they are and how stupid, terrible, horrible everything else is. Well, that's weird. The closest thing that we have in our doctrine 
to the idea of the judge is Mosiah 3.19, which reads, For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticing of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord and becometh as a child submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him even as a child doth submit to his father. But even this verse, in my view, does not address the idea head on And it's also couched in terms of obeying commandments. You know, the natural man has carnal lusts and desires and will not obey and submit to the commandments to live a pure life. And that's all well and good. That's good counsel. Okay, that's great. But that doesn't address in the same way the idea of the judge as do authors like Shirzad Shamanin or Eckhart Tolle. Because the judge or the mind or the ego can manifest itself as uber-righteous, uber-holy. In fact, people who are perhaps the most religious are also the least aware of their own judge. They suffer from religiosity, often, not always. And so one can be unaware of one's judge. One can be afflicted by one's own judge, and yet, on the surface at least, seem to be keeping all the commandments, all the outward performances that a typical person in our community would judge another's worthiness, pun intended. And so while this verse of Mosiah is a helpful verse, a good verse, it's, it's not really talking explicitly about the judge. The chattering, the voice that's constantly clamoring around inside your head. In fact, we don't, inside our community, talk explicitly about the judge or the mind or the ego in this way, as a separate being, as an entity with its own objectives, life force, energy. We come close, but we do talk about the atonement. We talk about the atonement a lot. And we kind of teach it like, like this. If you learn the difference between right and wrong, if you learn the difference between good and bad, at some point, even though you've done a lot of bad things, even though you've walked down along a lot of the wrong paths, as long as you learn you know, the difference and you repent of your mistakes, then you'll be fine in the end. That's, that's kind of the message of the atonement. But this is unsatisfying to people or incomplete. And so a lot of writers, desert book writers, you know, lay theologists, if you will, try to explain it in terms that are more palatable. And I don't want to try to offer my own explanation in full with this podcast of the atonement. But I do think it's related to recognizing your judge and recognizing that you are not your judge. And realizing that you're a being of light and spirit, connected, not just connected, but inseparable from God. Coming to that realization, in my view, requires, I think, this interim step of recognizing, dealing with, and taming the judge that we all have living inside of us. Because in my view, you got to get out from under the grips of the judge in order to feel at one with God. A further implication, of course, of this view, my view is that the last thing the judge wants for you is to feel at one with God because, well, there's no need for the judge if you're at one with God. And this is where the judge can be really scary. And this is where evidence of the judge as a separate life being, life force, comes from, in my view, because the judge will do all it can to remain in control and to dominate your spirit. The last thing my judge or your judge or anyone judges wants 
is for you to be free of it. So it's sneaky. But knowing that, noticing that about your judge, well, that puts it back in its place. It's kind of that simple. The problem is it requires constant vigilance, constant attention, constant, almost minute by minute, almost breath by breath. So on the one hand, yeah, it's simple to recognize the judge, but you got to be constantly aware. And if you can, you can really be at one with God. You really can feel promptings from beyond through your deeper spirit. That on a high level is what works for me. And when I look at the gospel and the teachings of our community through that lens, they make a lot more sense to me. But for me, this idea of the judge as being separate from me, that concept sort of represents a Rosetta Stone in which I can understand the broader teachings at church. And so in one sense, it's kind of like I'm grafting in something from the outside to better help me understand my community and what I've been taught and what I teach. Now that pattern, that's something you do see over and over and over. This pattern of leaving your community, going outside of it, finding something of value, bringing it back, grafting it in, that pattern you do see represented over and over and over again. And not just our stories, not just our scripture, but all great works like the Odyssey or other great heroes' journey tales, most of which follow the following structure, though loosely. I mean, don't you can't get too particular about this, but basically most of them are this. You think you're one thing as dictated to you by your judge, and you have experiences with this judge, and it takes you to a place that's terrible. And then you wake up and you realize this judge is not your friend, and you start noticing it, recognizing it, and ignoring it, and following your deeper, more spiritual impulses of light as guided by the Spirit back to where you started, yet you're quite different. You're much more aware. And when you return, you notice all these other people starting their journey. Maybe that's the secret knowledge, the secret wisdom that we're supposed to acquire while we're here on this earth, in this life. I think it's part of it. It's certainly part of the waking up process as described by the religions of the East, the philosophies of the East. It's part and parcel of the mindfulness movement that seems to dominate our modern Western life. Right now, it's kind of trendy, mindfulness. The idea certainly brings into context the notion of crucifixion and death and resurrection. Because in a way, that's sort of what it feels like when you recognize your judge and you eliminate it. It can be kind of a painful process, recognition, eliminating it or separating from it, learn to control it or at least learning to not be hijacked by it and then resurrecting anew. Of course, all this could just be verbal. How did longtime listener put it? Verbal M word of sorts, verbal indulgence. Could be. This entire episode could just be one big verbal indulgence about not much of consequence, maybe you ought to just delete it, which is, of course, what your judge wants. Your judge wants you to listen to this and other things that you come across in your life, other ideas, other concepts, other works by people who are well-intended, and your judge wants you to find all that stuff wanting, not of value, and your judge wants to convince you that it's you making all these judgments because you're quite smart and advanced. And this flatters you for the moment, calms you down, keeps you in the judge's grip. But if you believe your judge, or if you're unaware of it, tonight when you're alone, or tomorrow when you're driving down the road, or you're looking at your 12-year-old child, or you're trying to accomplish something at work, 
you'll feel the wrath of your judge because it will just tell you how much everything stinks, how much you stink, how much your child needs to do to improve, to be adequate, how much better you need to perform at your job. But really, the judge is going to judge you, make you feel bad about yourself. The judge saves his or her worst criticisms for its host, you. The good news is redemption is available for all. And don't beat yourself up too bad because all need to be redeemed, even those who don't think they do, because they haven't yet recognized their own judge. Maybe this is what Jesus really meant when he said, Blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. Qualities you typically find with those who have recognized and have learned to cope with their own judge. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't like this. And what do they represent? Well, of course, they're the uber judges. They're the, you know, the, the collective judges of all of Israel, of the world. And they'll be the ones who are going to decide who's wanting and who's not. Thank you very much. They'll be the ones deciding, not this hack from Galilee who hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors and, you know, fishermen. Because what in the world could anybody from that motley crew know? Clearly nothing. But throughout the New Testament, there was one or two or three members of this priestly, judgely class, Nicodemus comes to mind, who were just puzzled by what this guy Jesus was teaching. Because how in the world could the sick stand and walk again immediately? How could the lame be healed immediately? How can one be reconciled immediately with God? This was a great curiosity to them. Of course, in my view, it begins with the moment you recognize your judge or your ego or your mind, or if it works for you, the natural man, or that part of you that isn't you, that being that lives inside of you, that's not you. And when you really recognize it and you really accept that about yourself, that you're possessed, well, then becoming one with God again is almost instantaneous, as fast as that recognition, as fast as awakening itself Of course, if you're under your judge's influence and you fail to recognize that the judge even exists, you, of course, won't know WTF I'm talking about. And you probably ought to just delete this. But don't worry. We all have a spiritual teacher in our lives. All of us. And God has sent us here to deal with our judge so that we can learn to not judge. Well, I've gone on far too long. I hope you found something interesting here today. Please do email me at mormonawakenings at gmail.com or find me at Facebook at Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanique. Until next time.